Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Wave Break Podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast. And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Klaviyo is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much because they're on the same page with me and Wavebreak is like, we're not just about making more revenue, that's great, but what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers and the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you gotta get on Klaviyo. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V. IYO.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Waybreak Podcast. If you're new here, my name is Dylan Kelly. I'm the founder and CEO of Waybreak. And at Waybreak, we help leading e-commerce brands maximize their revenue from email. And what's really great about email is that this is going to be huge in 2020. And the brands that double down on their existing customers are the brands that are going to win. Uh, you know, we've been talking all year. Our theme in 2020 was the year of retention. And it's, it's not a coincidence what's happening in the world. Um, and because what's happening is that the business that's so focused on the front end is it's becoming harder and harder to run because it's it's a business, but at the same time, it's 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 lacking a huge component. And that is a brand and that is the customer base. And you build that by building a real community, something that people are craving now more than ever. If you want to learn exactly how to do that, go over to our blog, go to waybreak.co slash resources and sign up to our email list. We put out insights on how to do this all year long, how to do timely messaging all year long for the exact space that we're in right now. And how you continue to grow your e-commerce business in 2020, no matter what happens in the stock market, no matter what's going on in the world, there's a way to grow and there's a way to do it without being insensitive. Um, and, and we share those methods 
on the blog and on our private email list at waybreak.co slash resources. And if you want to dive into more specifics on what exactly might be working for your brand now and how you can recover more revenue from email and build a real community inside your customer base and what opportunities are there, head to waybreak.co slash call and uh, submit a survey, uh, a quick pre-call survey. And then what we'll do is we'll hop on a quick discovery call and, and we'll talk about you know what's going on in your business and what opportunities lie for you um, and, and what you can do to create some more abundance and certain and stability inside your business and how you can build a true community among your customer base that's going to help you build an even stronger company in 2020 and set you in the position to just come out of the year on fire no matter what happens. So if you want to book that, head to waybreak.co slash call. And in the meantime, I'm really excited for this episode. So today on the show, I am joined by Peter Keller. He's CEO of Fringe Sport. And uh, really excited for this conversation just because, you know, this is, this is I had a ton of fun in this interview because Peter started his company Fringe Sport 10 years ago. It's crazy to think that 2010 was 10 years ago, but he did it 10 years ago and it was 100% bootstrapped. And what's really cool about Peter is that he has a huge vision despite being bootstrapped. I mean, he doesn't see that as, you know, I think we're starting to realize that uh, the the Caspers of the world, like the actual better model is to not raise money. And you can still have a big vision and still achieve a big company despite not raising venture capital. And I think that's amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I love Peter's perspective on it. And he's working towards his vision to scale it into the Patagonia of garage gym fitness equipment um, and, and really build a movement around around it and help people. And he's made great progress towards that goal already. Uh, they don't do any advertising, which is super interesting. They do a ton of marketing though, but they don't run ads. Uh, we talk about that and how they do that. And he's also done it without raising any outside investment. He has a really great strategy and uh, you know, I love his insight on that. We talk about the D2C apocalypse and everything that's happening there and how these companies are going public and losing their CEOs and just like everything is you know, all the shifts that have been happening in the marketplace in the last, you know, recent months and years. And um, if you want to build a big, long lasting direct to consumer brand online, then this episode is going to be a must listen for you. Uh, it, it's great for people just starting out and it's great for people who are working to build that nine figure e-commerce business. So really excited for this one. So without further ado, let's hop right into it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Peter. Dylan, it has been my pleasure. How are you doing today? Dude, I, I'm doing great. I'm fired up. I'm excited for this one. We share a lot of uh, of the same values, so I'm um, I'm really excited for this one. But before we get into that and we talk about some things we both have some really strong opinions on, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, fringe sport? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, uh, again, my name is Peter Keller, CEO of Fringe Sport. Fringe Sport is a company that exists to help people improve lives through strength. And the typical ways that we do that are by helping people build amazing garage gyms and separately helping entrepreneurs build thriving community gyms. And by community gym, what I mean is your local CrossFit box, your local powerlifting gym, a local boot camp, that sort of thing. This is what we believe in. And the way we do that, quite simply, is by providing great gear, think barbells, at a great price, and we back that with world-class customer service. So that's Fringe. Yeah, that's awesome. And something really interesting about your business is the the way that you run it. Like, Unlike a, a lot of companies who are raising money or leveraging credit, um, in your own words, you operate your company as what you call a third-century trader. Can you tell us like what, is, what does that mean exactly, and how do you run this business? Yeah, 
Absolutely. And thanks for mentioning that. So we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Basically, I don't want to reflect negatively on whatever anybody else is doing for their business, but I've got a little bit of a different idea. So what I think about is I think about that we're building either a bootstrap DTC, so bootstrap direct consumer brand, or I also think about, which is related, running the company like a third century trader. So if you were in business school right now and you said, hey, I want to build a DTC, a direct consumer brand, which up until maybe six months ago, everybody would have said you were super smart. Right now, eh, a little bit different maybe. But if you said you wanted to do that, what your profs would probably say is, hey, put together a business plan and go find a VC to back you with some millions of dollars, then go out, acquire some customers with a minimum viable product, and then go to private equity for a mezzanine round or something like that, and then scale, scale, scale. Don't worry about making profit so much. Just worry about acquiring customers because you can always make it profitable someday. So I say, no, we don't do it that way. What we're doing is we're starting small. And by the way, I've been doing this for 10 years now. Now we've got some you know, pretty decent level of scale, tens of thousands of customers every single year, many of them repeat customers. And what we did is we did this without any outside funding. We did it by keeping the business very closely held. It's just me and one business partner. And then we focus so much on driving incredible value for the customers, but making money with every sale. And so I put this like looking at the business like I'm a third century trader. I don't have a huge war chest of money behind me by investors, but rather what I have is I have a little bit of money that the company was started with and then my own abilities as a trader to say, I can take a product here, I can buy it for X dollars and I can move it to somewhere else and sell it for Y dollars with Y being greater than X. And I'm, I'm skillful at doing this. If I create a lot of value for our customers, then my war chest of money is gonna get a little bit larger. If I'm not skillful at doing this for my customers, then the war chest is gonna get smaller or eventually disappear, in which case, boom, there's nothing else to be done. So the reason that I run the company this way is because it provides so much control. Again, I mentioned very closely held company, just me and one business partner. I don't have any private equity, any VCs, anybody like that that I have to answer to that are going to push me to do things that are not in our customer's interest. And fundamentally, that's what we're trying to do. So we're in strength and conditioning. Very specifically, the way we keep we the way we make money is by developing, marketing, selling barbells. And what I often say is we sell barbells to people who care too much about barbells. So we're able to obsess over that customer experience while at the same time retaining control over what we do. If I want to create something new and innovative and quirky and cool that I think it's cool, I can totally do that. And if it's successful, awesome. It's going to feed back into that war chest. If it's not successful, oh crap, I've got to figure that thing out. So like I mentioned, we also think about this as bootstrap direct consumer. Uh, I will tell you, it takes a little while to get off the ground. When I had first started Fringe, I, at that time, had had 10 years of experience in e-commerce, 
was doing pretty well as an employee. When I say pretty well, you know, nice six-figure income, really cushy expense account, really great bonus structure going on. And it actually did take me three or four years after I quit that job to really start getting my income back. But if you do this path as an entrepreneur, you can actually, if you're successful, you can really control your own fate and you can get back to where you were and you can make a really massive difference for your customers. And so that's why I think about the business as a third century trader would think about his business. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and one interesting thing that you do in addition to that is that you don't run any advertising, but you've still grown a, a really impressive company over the last 10 years. So how the heck do your customers find you? You know, there's a great article that I read about every quarter. It was written by Andy Dunn, the founder of Bonobos. And it is called, oh, you know what, I'm slightly forgetting the name, but I think it's called Startup Drugs. And what it talks about is it talks about how, and he wrote this a number of years ago, so he was mainly talking about Google ads at the time, but he talked about how advertising is a drug for a startup, for an e-commerce company. And what he says is that the drug makes you feel good right away because it provides revenue right off the bat. But the revenue comes at a really high cost and you get hooked on the drugs. You know, you you're paying for that revenue. It's very expensive revenue, but you get afraid. What happens if I stop paying for that very expensive revenue? Would that revenue go away? Would my customers love me in the morning? It, it worms into your psyche. And I know this because we have paid for <laughs> advertising in the past. And there have been two occasions where our ad spend has started to get up a little expensive, and I've cut it to the bone at that point. And even though I've done this twice, each time that I've done it, I have been frightened to do so. But now, where I am with Fringe is that I'm obsessed with providing value for our customers, and I'm also obsessed with customer acquisition. But I have constrained myself to say, how am I going to acquire customers without directly paying Google or Facebook for them? And the answer that we've come up so far is essentially through content and caring, the two C's, content and caring. So the number one element of it is content. We are lucky and blessed that we're obsessed with people who are building garage gyms, of which I'm one of those people. We're also obsessed with entrepreneurs building thriving community gyms, which I'm also one of those people. As I talk to you right now, I'm on the second floor of my house, and underneath me, directly underneath me, is my garage gym. I've got a three-car garage, and I have got a badass home gym built out in that three-car garage. I also mentioned earlier that we at Fringe Sport own and run the only free gym in the United States. All that we're trying to do with that free gym is provide an amazing community experience to help people improve lives through strength. And with both of those situations, what I'm trying to do is understand what do people who have 
home gyms, garage gyms, what do they obsess about? And if you dig into it, you'll see they obsess about barbells. I mentioned earlier on this that we design, develop, manufacture, and sell barbells to people who care too much about barbells. Now, for most people, most normals or normies as we call them, they would look at a barbell and they'd say, hey, a barbell is a barbell. Maybe if I pay more, it's a stronger barbell, right? But the reality is actually you might pay more and it might not be a stronger barbell. There's so many different variations in bars once you start caring way too much about them, of which I'm one of those people who cares way too much about them. And so we yeah, can write- Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm nodding my head back here. I love it. Like there is a difference between a bad bar and a good bar. <laughs> exactly. So what we do is we try to create content that helps people understand, even if they don't buy a barbell from us, how do they pick an amazing barbell? I, I will say, for example, some of the best content that we produce is around how to buy equipment used on Craigslist. And every now and then I talk with somebody who kind of doesn't get the marketing angle so much. And they're like, hey, Pete, if you're trying to sell barbells, why are you telling everyone how to buy barbells on Craigslist, which doesn't support you at all? And what I say is, hey, it's not about supporting Fringe. It's not about selling a barbell. It's about connecting with those customers. And they're all surfing Craigslist and surfing Facebook Marketplace and trying to pick up some fitness equipment, some strength and conditioning equipment at a discount price, why don't we help them do that? Because they're either going to figure it out on their own and just do that and we won't be involved at all, or we can help them do that and then we will be satisfying one of our whys, or sorry, the, the great why of fringe sport, which is helping people improve lives through strength. So we focus a lot on content. And we provide that out there for our clients free of charge. And enough of the clients say, hey, Fringe is pretty cool. They helped me buy this barbell on Craigslist. Maybe when I buy the weight plates, I'm going to go to them. Separately from that, we do the same thing for the community gym owners. I'll tell you a secret. Life is tough out there, especially now. But generally speaking, someone who becomes a community gym owner is not really looking to just be the best capitalist in the world and make the most money they can properly prop, excuse me, the most money they can possibly make. What they're really trying to do is generally speaking, they're trying to help people. They believe like we believe that stronger people live longer, happier, healthier lives. And they become a community gym owner. They either start their own gym or buy a gym because they want to help people change lives. Now, what do these community gym owners talk about? Surprisingly, a lot of the stuff that they talk about, that they're confused about, that they don't understand, is the business side of the business. And so what we do is we produce a lot of content and support for them around the business side so that they can learn and it frees them up to spend more time doing what they love and what they got into the business for, which is to help people. And that's really what most of our marketing is, is really content focused. I would love so much more to spend money on a piece of content that helps someone than to spend money on an ad for Google or Facebook that, in my opinion, Google or Facebook doesn't need any more money, at least not from me. Whereas our clients, I view the content as giving back to them and they deserve it because they're either trying to help improve their own life, life through strength or the lives of their friends, neighbors, loved ones, and clients through strength. 
So really, we have a content-focused marketing initiative or campaign. Yeah, that's great. What type of content are you putting out? Are these like blog posts? Are these videos? Is it a mix of both? And like, where are you putting this content? Ah, uh, Dylan, I wish I could do video. You know, I, I it's embarrassing for me to say. My undergrad, I do have an MBA, but my undergrad is a film degree. And at Fringe, we've just never been able to make video work properly, which for somebody with a film degree, that is a like sacrilege for me to say that. That said, I've always personally been really good at writing. I read a lot. And so really what we're doing is we invest heavily <clears throat> in written content, like blog posts, email marketing, even our product pages. We try to make, so I'm a big fan of of uh, another company in this space, not in this space, but let's say an e-commerce called backcountry.com. And maybe 15 years ago, I remember either the CMO or the CEO of Backcountry said, our product pages should be the stars, or sorry, should showcase our products like our products are stars. And so we really invest a lot in that rather than having a kind of Amazon approach where Amazon puts up a product and then to some extent relies on UGC user-generated content to fill in reviews and things like that, we try to make our product pages the absolute best place in the world to find information on that product. Now, I know that this sounds really line of sight when I say this to you, but I think if you go and you look at a lot of e-commerce sites, they're not really doing that. They have a product page, and then if you search forums or reviews or something like that, there's a lot of discussion about those products taking place fragmented kind of all over the place. We try to bring that all back onto our page with, yes, some UGC user-generated content, but also with us being the expert on these products because everybody who works at Fringe is some level of expert on strength and conditioning or strength and conditioning equipment or different questions that people have on there so we can help our customers better than anyone else can on these products. So the content is written product, excuse me, written content, largely in blog posts, but also on product pages and elsewhere. Ad additionally, one other thing I, I do want to mention is that Fringe engages often off-site on different forums and Facebook groups and things like that, just trying to help people. Because again, we're experts in this stuff. And so sure, we'd love it if you buy a barbell from Fringe. But fundamentally, and I've just, I'm doing everything I can to drive this through everybody at Fringe is help someone improve their life through strength. Like that's what we're trying to do. Selling barbells keeps the light on, but helping people improve lives through strength fills the heart up. Yeah, that's awesome. And they go hand in hand. And uh, yeah, I think that's great. Like thanks for shedding light on that content strategy. Um, now I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, slight transition, but like one thing you talked about earlier uh, is a topic that we both have, you know, really strong opinions on, and that's uh, the concept of bootstrapped D to C versus the, uh, you know, the good old venture funded Caspers out there. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on, you know, seeing a company like Casper go public? Uh, you know, obviously they're not doing too hot right now. Uh, their valuation is less than their revenue was. It's like half their revenue in 2018, I think, um, which is just wild. But uh, what are your thoughts on Bootstrap D2C versus, you know, the, the venture-backed D2C brands? Yeah, absolutely. So, oh man, I'm forgetting what this gentleman's name is, but there's a gentleman who has- Are you talking about the videos. medium post that went around? 
No, I don't think it was that one. There, there's somebody who has a few okay. YouTube videos, and if you search YouTube for Silicon Valley Ponzi scheme, he has a really interesting take, and that's really informed my thoughts on this whole venture-backed direct-to-consumer situation. So one of the things that he says is that he calls it a Silicon Valley Ponzi scheme because basically, in his opinion, all of the VCs and PE firms and stuff like that are all colluding to push up the valuation of private companies and then eventually get someone to either buy them, and that could be a larger company, it could be an IPO, it could be just another investment firm, something like that. And basically what they do is they buy and sell back and forth, or you know, mostly buy from each other, and then they keep marking up their holdings in companies every time they do another investment round. So it, he calls it a Ponzi scheme because basically what's happening in this situation is there's just a bunch of almost insider trading where everyone, at least the investors, is incentivized to make the value of the investments go up. And then at the end of the day, it's kind of like a game of musical chairs where the end of the day is the dope, quote unquote, who buys it once, you know, Casper IPOs or a big company buys the company, something like that. Now, the other flip side of that is, okay, who really makes money in these situations? Okay, it's those investors, but it's also Facebook and Google, because where all of that money, I don't know all, a lot of that money tends to go is into customer acquisition. And where is everybody doing customer acquisition these days? It's almost all on Facebook and through Google Ads. Now, just being in this DTC, direct consumer space, I have been to so many conferences and I have so many friends that when I say we don't do advertising, we only do grassroots word of mouth growth, they say, Peter, you're so, you're so short-sighted. And then when I talk with them a little bit about their advertising, they say, okay, yeah, we, in many cases, they're breaking even on the first transaction. Like that's their goal is to break even on the first transaction. And they tell me, hey, Pete, this is just how it's done. You break even on the first transaction and then you have a good repeat customer rate. So you make money when that customer buys again. Now, this is a belief that for some of my friends and for some companies does work. However, it's a belief that Facebook and Google, they want you to believe that way as a customer, as a owner of a business or someone right. who's in charge of a marketing budget because it is to their benefit. So when you look at these direct consumer brands that are getting these big funding rounds and are still private, who's really getting the money from those big funding rounds? It's being funneled into customer acquisition through Facebook and Google. So of course they wanna keep this going. Additionally, and before, Dylan, before we'd gone on and started recording, you had asked what title I should use. And I said, well, I really prefer these days to be called the CEO of Fringe Sport. I founded Fringe 10 years ago. And for a long time, I called myself the founder. But really what I believe right now is more important is the CEO title. And we've recently seen in the direct consumer space, a number of CEOs get pushed out. Sometimes they come back, sometimes not. We saw that with Away, the suitcase company, we saw that with Outdoor Voices. Uh, and, and one of the things to mention about that is now having done this for 10 years, 
it's way harder to be the CEO of a company than it is to be the founder of a company. Because if you're the founder of a company, basically everybody forgives almost every mistake that you make because you're a founder. Like, oh, of course you're going to make mistakes. Like you're, you know, figuring this thing out. You're the visionary. And yeah, of course the visionary tramples on a few people or makes a few wrong turns. However, when you're a CEO, that's a real professional title. And there's a lot less forgiveness there. Now, if you're a venture or private equity funded direct consumer brand, you lose control in that situation. And so you may make some money. I would guess you're probably not going to be very happy while you're doing so because you're under really intense pressure that may or may not be beneficial to your customers and your company. Whereas if you bootstrap it, the downside of that is that you're going to reach scale a lot slower. Again, I've been doing fringe sport for about 10 years. And just now we're starting to reach some real scale and really be able to impact a lot of people with our message that stronger people live longer, happier, healthier lives. And what we are here for is to help people improve lives through strength. So 10 years, that's a decade. That's a long time. I started Friends when I was 30 years old. Now I'm 40. When I was uh, 16 years old and my dad was 40, I thought he was an old man over the hill, didn't know what he was talking about. And now I'm there. And it's taken me 10 years with Friends to get here. But I've had control the entire time. And I haven't had to sacrifice what I believed was in the best interests of our customers. And so that's one of the reasons why I try to advocate for bootstrap direct consumer, because I'm not the only one who's done it. I've had a little rocky road <laughs> in different ways as I've gone around it, but I'm friends with Eric Bandholtz and the rest of Lindsay and his other founders over at Beard Brand. And he's also followed the bootstrap path. I also have a number of other friends who have followed the bootstrap path. We'd mentioned Casper before. I'm friends with Ricky Joshi, one of the founders of Sattva Mattresses, who actually, well, I, I won't say any non-public information about them. Let's say that. Let's just say that they're okay, though. <laughs> so the main thing that I'm trying to say is if you have an idea for a direct consumer brand and you're a founder or you're going to be a founder, the there's going to be a cacophony of blog posts of professors of YouTube videos that say you have to go and take capital to grow your brand. And all that I'm trying to say, I'm not saying you're bad. I'm not saying you're stupid if you take capital and try to grow your brand. I'm just saying there's another path and that path is bootstrapping your brand. And in the bootstrap path, it takes longer, but you maintain control and you can ultimately be in charge of your destiny if you're willing to go a little slower, but you have the intestinal fortitude to go alone and to not bring that money in. So that's really my whole thing. If you want to go down the venture or private equity path, go down the venture and private equity path. That's cool. I'm not going to say that you shouldn't do that. I'm just trying to say there are many people who will tell you that's the only way to go. And I'm standing here saying, it's not the only way to go. So that was my that was my yeah, screed. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I love that. And it, I completely agree. And I think it's really interesting to see like, you know, these, these D2C brands play out. I mean, like, I mean, just like you mentioned away travel Casper, like, you know, a few years ago, they were like the greatest brands in the world. And now it's like, run as far away from them as you can in terms of like, I mean, the businesses that are going to last and the, the businesses that are actually going to survive aren't the ones that are funded. It's the ones that have been built slowly and steadily, like the same with my clients, the same with all the people on my podcast. Like most of them were started by people like you who, you know, they started with, you know, whatever money they had and then slowly but surely worked it up from there. And um, I mean, I believe that's the future, right? Uh, just because it's like, I mean, first of all, that's how business, just like you talk about, you know, being a third century trader, uh, you know, you think back to like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, when some of the biggest brands we know today were started. I mean, it's just like you start with your $100 that you had at the time. And then now it's like, you know, these Fortune 500 companies. And uh, it's kind of like going back to that on the D2C side. Let's take a quick break to talk about screwing up. Listen, accidents happen. Maybe you installed an app in your Shopify store and it messed up your theme. Or a CSV import wrecked your product catalog. And there's this common myth that when things go wrong, Shopify can just help you. And they have this magic undo button that they can apply to your account and fix everything. But that's not true. Shopify can't do that. So what do you do? Well, you need to use Rewind to protect your store with automatic backups. It's like having your very own magic undo button. And best of all, if you sign up at rewind.io and respond to any of their welcome emails, because they're a sponsor of the podcast, all you got to do is mention the Waybreak podcast and they'll get you your first month for free. So go check Rewind out at rewind.io. I mean, who made it work? uh, in the VC world, like, um, just like, was it sunglasses, uh, not sunglasses, the eyewear company, Warby Parker, like that's it. Everyone yeah. else seems to be not doing too well. And I, I want to mention that I don't have any insight or like friends high up in Warby Parker, but one of the things that I have read and you can believe or not believe this is that 80% of their customer acquisition is orga- organic. So they do run ads of course, and they, they do do that. But I did read recently that 80% of their customer acquisition is acquired organically. So that's a a massive, massive number. You know, I going back quickly to customer acquisition in Facebook, I have a few friends who run PPC uh, PPC uh, uh, consultancy firms. So PPC firms. And a lot of times they will have clients that are acquiring customers at uh, ROAS of one to one. In other words, they're spending $1 to receive $1 in revenue. And that is supported by funding in the company. When I see something like that, I don't care what your margins are. It, it scares me. <laughs> I just look at that and I say, wow, you're spending a dollar in advertising to get a dollar in revenue. And that doesn't even account for product costs, doesn't account for your overhead, doesn't account for fulfillment costs, any of that stuff. I know some people are making yeah. it work, especially if you have like a subscription type of model or and or if your margins are thick, thick, thick. But it just scares me when I see that because anything goes wrong and you're in big trouble. I mean, we're staring right now down the barrel of what hopefully is not, but might be a major recession or even depression. You know, what happens to your subscription, your your LTV, your lifetime value of the customer in a 
recessionary client, excuse me, climate. Uh, I'm guessing not good things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And a lot of these businesses too, like, I mean, just the state of 2020, it's going to really separate a lot of the, you know, the real businesses from the people who have kind of been playing business these last few years. Like there's a lot of companies out there that um, are just kind of like really nice to have products. And uh, they're going to have to really like, especially in the subscription base, like we've seen that a lot where it's like, hey, what type of subscription can I make to get in on the subscription trend? Um, just in general, too, it's like the, you know, the shores are coming out and we'll see what's exposed. But, um, you know, the people who I, I love the idea of like hearing that, uh, you know, the majority of customers coming from Orby Parker is organic. Um, I think that's huge. It's not just like, how can we dump as much ad spend as possible to get as much growth as possible to get that valuation for, you know, whatever reason, you know, like obviously a lot of it's investor driven too. Um, cause at that point it's like your CEO of a venture funded company, you don't have a lot of say, <laughs> right? Like your boss yeah, is the absolutely. investor. Yeah. And, and I do but, want to um, be clear, you know, there are career paths that have been built along there. You know, again, I've been doing fringe for 10 years. We've been doing the slow and steady of the tortoise and we've been doing really well with that strategy. I also have some friends that, you know, have two or maybe even three startups, uh, in some cases, even successful startups where there've been exits. And so at the end of the day, maybe they're smart and I'm the idiot. I don't know, but I'm just going my path. Yeah. And, and I think that's a huge lesson too. Like we often get trapped in thinking there's only one way, like if everyone's shooting for a, you know, a one X return on ad spend, which just, I mean, that terrifies me just like thinking about that, you know, running that bank account and looking at those numbers coming in every month, uh, not even being able to hit your numbers <laughs> and like pay for stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, just like realizing that there is a different way. And like, I think that's how some of the most successful companies are built is, you know, by asking like, wait, does it actually have to be this way? And then finding another way. And um, we're starting to run out of time here, but you mentioned exits. Like, I'm curious, like, what is your plan and your vision for your company? Uh, you've been running it for 10 years. Do you have plans of an exit? Do you want to keep running the business? You obviously sound like you really enjoy and love what you do. Like, what what is your vision for the company look like? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. What I'm trying to build is the love child of REI and Patagonia in strength and conditioning. That is my BHAG, even though it doesn't have any numbers tied to it. I want fringe sport to be the nationally and internationally known best place for information, community, equipment around the garage gym revolution. There's a revolution going on right now where people are clearing the clutter out of their garages and building a world-class strength and conditioning facility right in their garage, mere steps away from their bed. And I want Fringe to be on the vanguard of that and leading that. Separately, I firmly believe that community gyms are viral change agents for health in the communities in which they they exist. And we want to be known as the company, the best company, the friend that supports these community gyms and pushes that movement forward. Now, as far as an exit goes, I am terrified about the idea of exiting my company because 
I have no idea what I would do. I mean, right. my wife has this series of pictures of me on various beaches around the world with my laptop on my lap working on a beach while we're supposed to be on vacation. And everywhere, every time we take one of these vacations, she takes a picture of me with my laptop on the beach. It's kind of her thing. And then she posts it up to her Facebook and her friends are like, you know, Valerie, you need to take that laptop away from him. You need to teach him how to stop working. And then she always replies back, this is what he loves. He loves what he does. So whenever we go on vacation, he wants to continue doing what he does because he loves it. So back to, you know, an exit. Uh, I mean, we've talked about some numbers. There have been a few people who reached out here and there. Um, uh, it terrifies me. What would I do with my life? I, I genuinely believe that stronger people live longer, happier, healthier lives. And I don't know how I would reach those people if I didn't have the vehicle of fringe sport to reach them. So as of right now, like I mentioned, I've been doing this for 10 years. I just keep telling myself I'm going to be doing it for 10 more years. And then in 10 more years, I can see what goes on from there. But I would be overjoyed to pilot fringe into the future more or less forever. Like if they <laughs> prime my computer, my laptop from my cold, dead hands, and I was answering somebody on Reddit that wanted to know what to do with the sandbag, I would have lived a great life. <laughs> yeah, man, that's awesome. I mean, that's 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 the dream. And you, you look at all the guys who have, who have done that successfully. Like, I mean, a good example that comes to mind for me is like Warren Buffett. Like that dude has just literally done the same thing his whole life. Um and what's cool is like the business you're building is, I mean, exactly the type of business that's going to last long enough for you to do that, which which is great. You know, we're seeing these companies, you know, not only in the venture funded D2C space, but on the side where like these last few years, you know, with drop shipping being this, you know, kind of you throw up ads and you start printing money overnight, like those businesses aren't lasting anymore because they haven't built a real brand and a real community. And what's really cool that uh, a really cool thing I think a lot of people listening can learn from what you're doing is like just the way you're adding value and really building a real brand because like you read about the Patagonias and you know the REIs and all these companies and that's that's exactly what they did in the beginning um, and then the the business was built as a byproduct of that and you know now these businesses have been around you know for as long as we can remember um, which is really awesome yeah, yeah and I mean if you look at it I love working out I love sports I love the outdoors I love hanging out with fit people so I don't have to talk like when I order when I go to a restaurant with somebody and I ask for a bunch of modifications on the menu, uh, you know, to make the whatever I'm eating more healthy. I get to sit with people who are also health obsessed and don't look at me like, oh, Peter's being a douchebag by, you know, asking for his like gluten free with like more protein and more veggies, you know, so I get to hang out with those people. Yeah, I get I get to travel the world. Like I said, I get to be fit. And by the way, you know, fit people are generally more attractive than kind of normal people, too. So I get to hang out with a bunch of like generally attractive people day in, day out. I literally own a gym and work in a gym because the gym is right next to my office. Man, I it, it is the dream. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine yeah. anything else. Yeah, you can't beat it. And I, I know we're coming up on time here. So uh, before we sign off, where can we go to learn more about you and Fringe? 
Yeah, absolutely. You can go to www.fringesport.com or you can find us on Instagram just at Fringe Sport. And you know that those are the best ways to find us. I would mention one thing right now, if you allow me a quick plug. I would yeah, say go for that, it. Awesome. I would say that community gyms, local gyms, CrossFit gyms, powerlifting gyms, boot camps, things like that are one powerful change agents for your life. And then number two, we're entering a time of economic uncertainty. I would encourage as many people as can swing it financially to join a local community gym. I know it may seem like it's expensive or you're not able to afford it or something like that. It is an investment, number one, in your own health that will pay massive dividends down the road. And number two, you are also paying in to a viral change agent that is amazing for your community. So I would say if you at all can do so, join, pay for, and attend a community gym. It will change your life and it will change your community. And that is my plug. Love it. Not what I was expecting, uh, but I think it's funny because like it's um, you know that's just the type of person you are, as you can see through the business you built and the way you do your content and the way you run things. So, love the plug and and more than happy to allow you to do that. And uh, I'll link up everything that we mentioned. Uh, the um, what was it? The uh, the Andy Dunn article. I, I pulled it up here on Medium. Here, I'll, I'll link that up. I'll link your site up and uh, everything there. And really appreciate you coming on the show, Peter. Dylan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Now, listener, before I sign off, stop me if this sounds familiar. Your email marketing is stuck. You feel like you could be doing email better. You're not generating enough email revenue, and you feel like you're leaving money on the table. But you don't have the time to figure email out yourself or or do it on your own because you have a business to run. Imagine this. Imagine not having to worry about leaving money on the table with your email marketing. Imagine not having to figure out what to send, when to send it, how many emails should look, what automation you need, what segments you need, how often you should be contacting your email list, or just worrying about sending the next email. You don't have to worry about any of that. Imagine having peace of mind knowing that your email marketing is generating sales in good hands. At Wavebreak, we help Shopify stores maximize their email marketing revenue. That's it. We don't do anything else. And we've created a system called the Wavebreak method that, number one, makes you less dependent on Facebook or other marketing channels. Let's say something bad happens. Facebook says, see you later, Shopify store, and they just completely kill your ad traffic overnight. You you don't have to worry. You don't have to stress because you're good to go because you have a cushion of email revenue. You don't have to worry about how or what what your wife is going to do or if you're going to be able to make rent or if you're going to be able to pay people because you have this cushion of email revenue to rely on. Number two, the second thing this does is huge. And it's how stores scale from seven figures to eight figures uh, to nine figures. And the secret is repeat purchases. The Wavebreak method gets rid of one-time buyers and increases repeat orders. Number three, it keeps your email list engaged. You don't have to worry about Black Friday and beyond. We'll figure out the ideal amount of times that your list needs to be contacted to maximize revenue, and then we'll execute it for you. If you want to learn more about this system and how we can work together to apply it to your business, go to wavebreak.co to schedule a call with me. 
and I'll personally send you my calendar link and we can chat one-on-one. Now, I don't have unlimited time to do these calls. I can only do a couple of them per week. So if you want to get your call, uh, go sign up at wavebreak.co for it as soon as possible and we can talk about how we can work together. Thanks for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the show on iTunes to get notified of new episodes as soon as they drop. 